0: Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marjadalia Pod. We treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books.
1: I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gerangai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging.
0: I'd also like to acknowledge Manafenawa, off to Awakairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today.
1: Hi. Hi. Hello. Welcome back welcome back thank to you, the antipodes
0: I'm glad to be back always
1: oh i bet that's such a long flight i was just thinking of you traversing oceans and continents <laughs> and just starting in one place going all the way across the ocean crossing a- another continent and then crossing another ocean
0: so <laughs> far i know everyone at work is like i can't believe you did this for only like 10 days and then I was like, isn't it weird, isn't it weird the modern society that we live in that yesterday I could have been looking at lions and now today I'm sitting at my desk replying to emails. <laughs> like, what a weird... It's a weird concept when you think about it. It's just it's very strange. It's a weird
1: concept. Try For explaining
0: that to an ancient person from, like, the 1800s.
1: The quickest you could really get anywhere was, like, weeks, right? Like, and it used to. I'm thinking of Poirot when it takes, like, six days to cross the Atlantic and they were like, oh, it's so quick. You know, from London to New York. It's like, oh, is is that quick? I guess. I was looking this up, actually, and you know that you can't just charter a boat. Like, you can't just get on a boat somewhere. You have to take a cruise ship if you want to, like, travel by boat anymore.
0: Well, you can't just get your own boat. Well, I mean, you could, but, like, there's
1: not, like, a passenger boat situation. That's not a cruise ship. You can't just get on a boat.
0: There isn't a regular boat to... I don't know Australia from here yeah
1: the boating 747 that's what I want like I would love to take a boat across the world because I mean that would give me time to like you know I love the time in the air when you can read or whatever and having that more time to read or whatever I'm in the middle of the ocean there's no cell signal here yes
0: give it to me. yeah but but you're in the middle of the ocean that's not a good thing
1: (laughs) not for you you get seasickness I forgot about that that's true you would be very miserable I think i would be okay i might have trouble if it was a big big wave but i think it would be fun to be on a boat for a long time but
0: not a cruise ship. the ocean is so terrifying i can't even wrap my head around it even when we were flying back to australia and you know at one point you're just over the ocean and i'm like if something went wrong we are just completely messed up like there is nowhere <laughs> to go It's the same distance to go back as to go forward at this point. There's nothing else here. It's just ocean as far as the eye can see. Like, it's really messed up.
1: There are lots of little islands in the Indian Ocean, though. I know, I've watched documentaries about them. They're full of turtles. I'm sure that a plane could try and land
0: near one. Perch precariously on a rock.
1: That would be okay. As long as you can get to the place with the turtles, you've got food. They have a big tree that they hide out underneath. I'm sure that wherever the dodos are from... That's also in the Indian Ocean, so you could aim for, like, Dodo land. Mauritius, right? I think. Anyway. Yeah, yeah.
0: but Mauritius is, I think, more north than south. Anyway, it's just, it's bizarre. It's bizarre how big and small the world is simultaneously. Yeah.
1: And your safari looked amazing.
0: It It was amazing. It was a very productive three days. That
1: was great you'll have to take me some time in another 12 years when you're ready to go back
0: (laughs) (laughs) or however long it's been (laughs) I'm happy to go on safari anytime it's the rest of it that's problematic
1: (laughs) this is how I feel I keep saying like oh I need to take Jen to Oregon and then I'm like but I'd have to visit everybody I'm related to (laughs) Like that's just days of work and it's not that I don't love my family because I really love my family but it is also like a lot of emotional output yeah and that's yeah. something you have to plan for and account for. Oh. Well, um, what sparked joy for you this week on your mini travels or back home? Well,
0: probably the safari. So I took my grandmother to the Kruger National Park, which is a 21,000 hectare park nature reserve up in the north of South Africa, right on the border. And it's magnificent. And I used to go all the time when I was a kid. And my mom went when she was a kid. It's this thing her family has done basically her entire life. So my grandmother is very well versed in it. And I thought, all right, let's go. So we flew in, which is something I've always wanted to do. When I was little, I would see planes land and I'd be like, oh, so bougie for people to be flying in. And we have to drive six hours. So to have the opportunity to fly in was actually really cool. And it saves the six hour drive through some pretty problematic areas. Hmm. So we managed to fly in, rented a car, half day, like we landed at 2.30 or something. Had a half day seeing things, Already saw some elephants, had a great time. Had two full days in the park and then another half day driving back to the airport and going home. And yeah, saw loads of lions, a pride of 17 lions, including 15 females, one male and a cub. So we saw that on the night ride that we booked. We saw some other lions. We saw four male lions and then just two others on our last day as well, like a male and a female just sitting in a field. Saw so many leopards, which is not something that I normally see when I go Mm. on safari. Usually, if I see one it's lucky. I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've seen a leopard. And then we saw four this trip. So that was crazy. They weren't hiding very well. No, I saw a <laughs> cheetah, one cheetah, wow. in the night when we did our night ride again. And then, yeah, just loads of elephants, too many elephants, all over the road, holding me up <laughs> when I'm driving, having to reverse for 10 minutes because they're coming straight at you down the road and you don't oh know what gosh. they're going to do. So that's stressful. Yeah, um, that buffaloes. Would be yeah just like loads of animals and it was really lovely and it reminded me of all the good things about my childhood and it was just really nice and the weather was amazing it was like 38 degrees and glorious and then on the last day it rained but that was fine we I'll allow it (laughs) so yeah no it was great what sparked joy for you this week
1: oh well I've had a very pedestrian and not cosmopolitan or bushwalky safari like week so I've been just here doing home stuff um but uh, I've been taking the dog for walks in the evening, which has actually been really good. Like, I'm always afraid to go out after dark. I just don't like it. I feel vulnerable. Um, but I was like, oh, screw it. The dog needs a walk and no one else is going to do it. So I took her out last night for a walk and we just turned around the Oval like four times and all of the youths that were hanging around the Oval on a Friday <laughs> night were like so excited to see a dog. They were like, Dog! Um, so you know, that was great. And then someone actually like live TikToked or whatever it is the youths do because they were like, Can I can I record her? I'm like, Yeah, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. not me, but the dog is fine. Um, so that was really cute. She was very popular. She acted like she'd never had any pets in her whole life, which was part for the course. Um, and then this week my daughter got her high school uniform, which Aww. was like big transitions, lots of like complicated feelings uh she was taller than the lady who fitted her let's just put it that way like she's gonna be a tall person and i love that i love it but also it was like oh my gosh a minute ago she was in like kid size eight and now she's like lady size 12 (laughs) like oh my gosh that happened so fast Mm. um and yeah i've just been organizing some christmas presents and some birthday presents which is always really
0: fun so lots of little Mm. joys there you're so good at giving presents. You're like a gift giving elf.
1: Oh, I try so hard. I really like doing things for people and like fixing things. I'm like, here, let me get you this thing. And like, I hope you like it. And I could kind of, I'm kind of okay if people don't like their presents, but I also really enjoy giving people stuff. So mm. hopefully I'm nailing it. Just let me know if I'm not <laughs> so I can improve.
0: <laughs> Nailed it so far.
1: Well, I'd love to hear that. Thank you
0: well this week we're reading chapters 41 to 47 through the theme of shame so did you have a story for us
1: i think i wanted to ruminate about shame a little bit um mm-hmm. so i don't have any specifics because uh i don't love being vulnerable to specific mm-hmm. points um but i did have a bit more of a think about it and i was thinking about the way in which i look at things that i feel shame about um, and it mm-hmm. actually made me think maybe i don't feel shame the way that I could be feeling shame so I know that I've said before on this podcast that like shame and guilt are not the same thing and that I think the distinction between them is really important I think of them as being fraternal twins like both are about being self-critical and both are ways that you feel bad but shame is more about how you are wrong and guilt is more about how you've done wrong so I was looking up a little bit more research about it to see if anyone else had made these distinctions and like lots of people have um, and I came across this quote, which I thought, or this, it's, it's from an academic paper, but I thought it was really interesting. Shame implies perceived lack of power to meet the standards of one, one's ideal self, whereas guilt implies perceived power and willingness to be harmful, that is, to violate the standards of one's moral self. I thought that was hmm. really interesting. Um, it goes on to say, these differences have important motivational consequences, both positive and negative, whereas guilt is likely to motivate either reparative or self-punitive behavior, shame is likely to motivate either withdrawal or increased efforts in building one, one's aspired to identity. So this is great because it talks about how, like, shame is about, you know, you, you, you lack something. You lack the power to meet the standards of the ideal, and then guilt is about, like, having the power or the willingness to be harmful um, or violate the standard. And then, like, mm-hmm. what happens in those cases? They're different, right? So, like, Shame will make you withdraw or, like, you'll, like, try harder to be the better person. But guilt is, like, oh, I have to, you know, reparations. I have to restore this or I have to, like, punish myself for not doing it. Hmm. And I like this framework because I like knowing how to feel bad about something because then it will teach me how to solve the problem. And I really like solving problems. Mm. Hmm. And I think this works in some ways that when shame is masquerading as guilt, right? Because it makes it easier to deal with. Like, it's action-based. So if I feel guilty about doing something wrong, I can apologize or make amends or take really specific actions. Like, I did the wrong thing. I will make amends. I mean, I'm really good at apologizing. I'm very sincere and I really want to fix it. And I love the relationships that I have. So I try to work hard at keeping them healthy. Um, But then I thought, well, what happens if the reason I keep messing up is because of, like, unaddressed shame? Like, what if I'm ashamed of something and it's causing me to, like, do the wrong thing? And how do I even identify that? And it turns out it's really hard to, like, dig down past feeling guilty about an action. Because I can always trace what I've done. Like, I can always trace it to an action. Um, But, like, how do I then go down and say, well, what were the underlying reasons behind it? I'm a really capable Hmm. and confident person and that means, it turns out um, that I don't actually have to be particularly vulnerable uh, even with myself. Hmm. So we're coming back to the horrible thing that is very hard and I try to keep doing, which is being vulnerable. It is the worst. I'm working on it. Um, And I think that the way I've gotten around this, like, really looking at what causes me or what makes me feel shame is that I just turn it into guilt. Like, what's the action that I need to do? What's the action that I did wrong? Because guilt is actionable, I can solve for it. I cannot solve for shame. It is not so easily treated. Hmm. So I was just thinking about all of this and then feeling slightly like alarmed because is this my existential crisis? Is this it? Am I having it? Is it finally here? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I just think that maybe admitting that I'm bad at it, Being aware of, identifying, and acknowledging when I feel shame. That's something I can work on. That is an action I can take. Um, And I think that the way to do that is to be vulnerable. And that means being vulnerable to myself. So really digging in when I feel that weasley, squirrely feeling and going, okay, but why? But why? Is this about you or is this about what you perceive other people think of you? Um, Mm. And look, I can't do that if I'm going to pull back in my little hermit crab shell. So I've got to work on that. So that is what I'm going to do. That is my little action. That is my rumination that sometimes we might perceive the things we feel guilty about or the things we feel shame about as being guilt. And then how do we move forward and how do we actually address that so that we can grow and change and be better for ourselves and others?
0: Yeah, a really good point And a really valid observation as well. That difference between guilt and shame. And something I think I want to talk about in this section too, especially when it comes yeah. to the grey man because yes. he seems to have that same issue. So, yeah, we can talk about that. I'll do our chapter summaries and then we can oh, yes, crack please. into it. So, in this section Gwenlyn wakes up from a nightmare of knowing her mother has been unmade and attacks Artemis who retreats into Blue's favorite beach tree. Adam and Ronan dream together and find a disease and death in Caveswater, first the corpse with the white night terror and then the body of Ronan's mother, Aurora. Gansy meanwhile has taken Henry and Blue to lunch with his parents. They find Gansy's friends very charming. Helen lambasts Gansey for selling out to headmaster Childs, reminding Gansey that his mother's election is possibly on the line. The Gangsy is reunited to support Ronan. Blue finally gets to talk to her father, who tells her the story of the tree lights and tells her finally how they can stop the demon by a willing sacrifice along the corpse road. So, yeah, big boo. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so just to return to your point about guilt and shame, because there's this yeah. bit on page three fourteen where the grey man and Mora are going to the barns because he's looking for the third Le Mornier brother.
1: Yeah,
0: and they find Ronan and Adam asleep and vulnerable. Well, not asleep, but you know, scrying and vulnerable in the dreams. And he says he m- makes his remark about why he feels a responsibility and he says page 314 but it was precisely because he had killed Niall that he now felt responsibility and guilt in the howling corridors of his heart so i feel like there's like there's an element of shame for his past but the gray man has always been so detached from what he's doing yeah. right like he is very mm-hmm. good at his job he just does the job he even goes into the section to say that he doesn't even know how he really became a hitman it's just something that he did right
1: what a job so this to rel- fall into
0: yeah this relationship between shame and guilt and like he doesn't feel any shame but he feels guilty and i think in the same way that you just described the fact that you haven't interrogated that feeling enough to for it to be shame i feel like he hasn't interrogated his past enough for it to be shame Mm.
1: like how do i mean how how would he i think this is such a fascinating question i'm really i'm really glad you raised it thinking like how would he decide that what he's doing is immoral because it comes down to that moral value right
0: and he talks about the fact that he's no longer someone's weapon. So now it's up to him to be like to protect them. So he's yeah. responsible for yeah, their yeah. vulnerability. But when he was someone else's weapon, when he was just being wielded, he didn't feel anything. And it, that's interesting. It's an interesting distinction to make when you are still a person.
1: Yeah, he's gone from being the sword to the king. And this is the choice that he makes here is that mm. he becomes a king. Um, and it's echoed so beautifully at the end of this section when Ganzi is like, I know what I have to do. And it's like, mm. oh, here's another king. I hate this. Okay. Um, but yeah, like the, the. It's not the right term exactly, but like the objectification, like he turns himself to an object.
0: Mm. He's
1: just a weapon and now he's a king. But he's like doing it toward an end, which I, I think is. I'm sort of talking around this, but like he has a reason for why he chooses this. Like he's going to, he's going to unite the factions. He's going to deal with the little squabbling kinglets. He's going to do exactly what Alfred did. Like he's making this conscious choice, but he's still holding himself away from getting what he would like, which is to be able to stay and live and love and have a life.
0: And I wonder if there's shame in that, like in this inability to forsake this violent life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he has, he has to make the choice. He's like, I could d- just like disarm him, but then I'm going to be responsible and I have to be vigilant for my entire life because yeah. they'll be aware of everything. Or I can just kill him and start a war and then deal with it. And he thinks that's the easier option.
1: Yeah. It probably is, actually, because he's very capable of killing people. So he's like, eh, this seems doable. At least there's a roadmap, right? He's already done that heaps and like trying to reason with people trying to make a community trying to like fix things would probably be harder and it would leave everybody that he cares about more vulnerable Mm. and I wonder if that's not part of it if he's like well I can make a bad choice and protect everyone or I can like we we would all suffer Mm. and I think that's where it comes down to is like who is going to suffer like he will suffer but his his new family his found family won't because he won't be there but he won't get them Oh, it's the worst.
0: And he says he'll be back at the end of it, right? He tells them that he'll be back once he's settled everything. And I love that Maura just sighs because she knows what he's going to do before he even does it.
1: Yeah. It was only a matter of seconds, and she was just like, ah, okay, <laughs> this is going to happen. Hmm. I have a lot of feelings about the Grey Man. I felt like that was one of the harder sections to read. And I know that this is like also where we've lost Ronan's mum and like, we see Gwen Cleon losing it because she's lost her mom. Like, but still, the Gray Man having to like in real time make this decision to give up what he has fought so hard for mm. because of this one terrible intersection of people being in the place they shouldn't.
0: Oh, that's so frustrating. It is frustrating.
1: But also, it's good storytelling. I mean, like, yeah, it it would not be okay if it were neatly wrapped up. We'd be like, well, that doesn't seem right.
0: Yeah, and speaking of Gwendoline, right? Like, I feel like mm-hmm. she's not ashamed of anything that she does or what she feels, but she thinks Artemis should be ashamed of himself yes. and the way that he behaves.
1: Absolutely, that's that's huge. Like, we dive into this chapter, and she's so scathing of his cowardice. Like, the thing that gets me is a- at one point on page two ninety two, you know, she says, "My mother was a tree, and she's dead." Gwendoline snapped. This is to Blue. Your father's a tree, and he's a coward. You're the unlucky one. Like, she thinks it's more unlucky to have a coward who's alive than a dead and noble parent. Like, wow, that is a huge amount of shame that she is putting on this person.
0: I also love that she says on page 289, you know, this coward magician hiding in this closet having killed everyone through his inactivity. Like, Mm. that to me is such a big moment because I feel like so many people who are not, you know, people aren't inherently evil or anything like that, but people often do bad things through inactivity. By doing mm. nothing, you mm-hmm. are also being a coward. Like, that is not, opting out is not really an option when you live in community.
1: Yep, 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 100% true. Um, I find this really frustrating now, because that's a lot of the rhetoric going on, like, especially with the ongoing uh, activity in the Middle East, shall we say. There's a lot of people going, if you don't look at this, if you don't like bear witness, if you don't tweet or blog about this, then you are effectively holding a gun. And I'm just like, you know what, like the best we can do is call our elected representatives and tell them that we want them to acknowledge it and do stuff like you cannot hold people who are completely unrelated to it to account it's one of those things where people feel like they have to do something so they spit out vitriol in order to get other people to feel bad so they can feel justified in feeling bad if that makes sense
0: it is an interesting one because i've I've had a lot of conversations about that as well like this idea that you know the inactivity is the bad thing and like you should be tweeting about it you should be putting it on your instagram stories you should be engaging with content and Knowing, I just don't feel like that does anything. And I know there's an argument that, yeah, if you engage with the content, the algorithm will pick it up and surface it to more, problem, to more people. But I don't feel yeah. like the issue is that people don't, aren't aware of the issue. I don't think that it's visibility that's the problem.
1: Absolutely. And I also think it's, uh, I'll refer back to that great article I linked a few weeks ago, I think, which is like, you don't need my bad opinion on this. Or like, you don't need my opinion on this.
0: And I agree Um, with you, there are better actions that you can take. Like, yes, call your representatives, like, go to a march, do things like that. I just, I don't know if putting up an Instagram story is enough to be like, cool, I've done my job, call it a day, you know? And look, I find it
1: actually really disrespectful in a way because I know a lot, like, I I grew up with a veteran. I I grew up with more than one veteran in my family, and, uh, like, there are things that i'm seeing just coming across instagram reels or whatever that are horrifying and would be very triggering for a lot of people like i find them uncomfortable um and i've never been in a wartime situation so i can't imagine how people who've like lived and survived through that are dealing with that like it's a barrage it's an onslaught and like it isn't raising awareness it's just triggering people to like i don't know i there's a lot of nuance there that i'm not getting but i I think it's something that like we're made to feel ashamed for not contributing enough we're, like, we're we're cowards. And I worry about that. Like, I, I think the best I can really do is, like, you know, call my representative. I've written a couple postcards, which is really good because they, if you handwrite them, they have to keep them and, like, read them. Um, but, like, I have kids who I want to answer their questions. So, like, all of the work I'm doing is, like, based on educating my children about this issue. And it's not about, like, hmm. trying to convert adults who already have opinions in my sphere. Right. Yeah. It's It's a really hard one.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you how you can be effective when you are so far removed. This is the bit that I struggle with. Like Mm, mm -hmm. we're talking about governments who need to do actions and we cannot you can only get so much out of your government. I don't know. I don't know how you affect change when you are just an individual in a country that has nothing to, that has no skin in this game like essentially yeah. like if yeah. you're an american by all means like your country is very complicit oh, in yeah. what is happening like you have donated For billions sure. of dollars to fund a military power yeah yeah australia new zealand not so much which is vibing yeah yeah a bit yeah we and have no power geopolitically so yeah. i don't really know what we can do
1: and it's not even like the claim that australia or new zealand because we're allies of another more powerful country or somehow also complicit it's like well okay but it's like living in the same neighborhood and then blaming the one crazy person up the street for going on a shooting rampage like yes we're all neighbors we all know that guy but like did we do it did we put the gun in their hand you know what i mean it's it's a similar Mm. vibe i just feel like we're all gonna do our best but um and this isn't to say nobody has personal responsibility but like it's okay not to take on the whole thing.
0: Yeah, it's making me ask more questions about what the point is of things like the UN when we can do... Lit- like, they were founded to stop stuff like this from happening yeah. and now they have no power. So it's kind of like... Mm, mm, I feel like we've gone wrong here somewhere, people. We should probably consider what is going on. But anyway, let us move on. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. this is good because I think this also ties into Ganzi's shame in a way because he feels shame about his wealth. Yeah, necess- yeah. yeah. And the- almost like the easy display of it. Like he understands it in a way that he didn't before. Mm -hmm. And this is the same kind of like, yeah. Shame that he doesn't really know how to process.
1: I have this, um, I have this weird thing where I have one semi fancy credit card and it's just like the one that doesn't have a limit in case of like an emergency. And we need like, you know, if if our house burns down and we need a hotel for a week that it will go on Mm. that card kind of thing. Um, this is the, this is what we have it for. It's for emergencies. But I feel really embarrassed when it comes out. Like, I don't want people to see that I have this. <laughs> so, like, when I use this one, I, like, hide it because I feel like it's fancier and I don't want people to think I'm fancy. So I really get Gansey on this because, like, I grew up without a lot and, like, I know what it's like to not have that. And, like, now that I'm comfortable, I'm, like, a little embarrassed about it. Like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to wear my jeans for longer than I would if I were poor. I'm going to wear them until they have actual holes everywhere. Um. But I liked the description of how Gansey's house, like, to him, before he had met Blue or Adam, he would have just thought it looked a stare. But then after having met them, he's like, oh, it's it's not that. It's like everything, every object they have was exactly right for its purpose. And that was what money did was it, it gave you exactly the right thing you need. I yeah, he describes it
0: a lot. Yeah, he describes it. Every, if everything was aesthetic, that is what money did. I'm like that is so true. Like it's just so true. Cuz I think you're more likely to hoard as well when you're when you don't have money because yeah. like, you are not going to mm-hmm. throw something out because what if you need it? You you can't replace it. You can't just go out and buy another one. Like this is the problem with minimalism, right? If you watch any of those minimalist shows on Netflix they're like, "Yeah, throw out your can opener. Throw out everything you haven't used in 3 months. If you need another one, just go out and buy it." I'm like, "That is unhinged. That's like that is capitalism idea. gone mad."
1: That is the worst kind of nonsense. I actually remember um, thinking that there was a, there was something, this was probably a, a deep shame of mine for a long time, thinking that there was something wrong with me that I couldn't save money. Um, and it did come down to shame because I, I was actually so used to not having a lot of money that whenever I got a little bit more, I was like, I have to turn this into stuff. And apparently that's really common if you grow up, like borderline which, like, I grew up without. I mean, there were lean years, there were good years, but I grew up without enough to know that money was, like, a thing I had to worry about my whole life. Um, Whether I do or not now, I still worry. And uh, a lot of people convert their money into stuff because you have stuff forever, but money will go. Mm. And so, like, whenever someone's like, oh, they shouldn't have an iPhone, they're poor. I'm like, no, they turned that money into stuff, and that stuff's going to last a long time. I get it. Like, I yeah. have no problem with that. I understand why you would get the nice thing, because if worse comes to worse, you can sell that. But like, you have it while you have it.
0: I kind of had a little bit of this when I was just on holiday, because with the conversion, the, con- the you know exchange rate, I just have more money than my family. And my family are not particularly well off, but they, they do fine. But, you know, whatever. They're not rich. And so, like, my aunt was saying, you should pack this and take this on, like, safari with you and we can do this and we can do this. And I'm like, it's fine. I'll just buy more when I get there. I'm like, I can buy all this stuff. Mm. I don't need to take it with me. I can just buy it. But that is a privileged position yeah, to yeah. be able to think that, to be like, yeah, cause that's what money does. It gives you that option. Yeah, it's a cushion and it's interesting because you see Blue thinks it's shameful as well when you just don't respect the value of things like she yes. calls Gwendolyn out for breaking the door Like she's not doors for like cost money. nearly
1: murdering someone with a lamp but like doors cost money that's what she says that one got me too I was like oh yep that's 100% the reaction I would have like oh where are we going to get the money to fix this
0: <laughs> yeah
1: not is the person inside that cupboard okay but like oh gosh this costs money this is going to be money that we'll have to spend
0: yeah, everything costs being, money.
1: Are your cats being naughty?
0: Well, they're okay. They haven't bought anything, and she's just playing with a toy. That's, I'll allow that.
1: <laughs> That's permitted. Mm-mm. I ordered a laser pointer today for the first time in uh, my adult <laughs> life. And so for the cats. Yeah, and my daughter's already absconded with it. <laughs> she's like, oh, thanks, Mom. I'm like, hey, that was my toy to play with. if i sit exactly
0: here in the morning when i have my coffee the sun comes in through this window to the left and it catches my phone and it casts a reflection on the wall Mm. which i never knew until we had kittens because they're very interested in chasing this little sun spot (laughs) that's great very cute Is there shame in that bit where Gansey remarks about Henry, right? And he says that Henry passes a test that Ronan and Adam always seem to struggle with. And I I don't think that's, I I don't mean in the way that Gansey is ashamed of Ronan or Adam, but maybe shamed for the sense that there is a test at all. Like there is this thing that these people are being put through.
1: I think it's, yeah, uh, yeah. And look, I think that he's even cognizant that Blue might be passing it in one way, but not another. Mm. Like, he's very aware. Like, he's more aware now than he ever was. Uh, it's like he went from, like, I don't see color to, like, being super woke circa 2014. I don't know how else <laughs> to explain it. Like, 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 things like that, but for wealth, you know? And so now he's feeling really squirmy about it. And I do think, I think it's kind of a relief in that maybe he's ashamed of the relief that it's so easy for Henry. Um And then, like, Henry's trying to help him out a little bit, and he's like, oh, good, I've been rescued. But then he feels bad because Blue was stranded. But then his dad comes in to rescue Blue, which I really love. I love that he's so sensitive and is just like, what's that great? Uh. Uh. Gansey had been rescued. Blue had been stranded. Mr. Gansey saw it, and he caught the ball even before it hit the ground. I would love to read something from you, Blue, on growing up in a house of psychics. You could go academic or you could go memoir. And either way, it would just be fascinating. You have such a distinctive voice, even when you're speaking. And that is such a beautiful compliment and so thoughtful and so, like, generous. And I was just like... Mr. Gansey, that's really nice. Like, I was I was feeling really proud of him. And I love that Gansey was, like, awkward and his dad fixed it. It was just really beautiful. It was nice. Yeah,
0: the Ganseys are really good at, like, wearing that politeness. Like, they never want anyone to feel uncomfortable or yeah. that they don't belong, right? Even when they're judging, they're still not going to let that show because they just have this veneer of politeness. And I think they struggle with Ronan and Adam because neither of them are willing to play that game. They would oh rather them be that uncomfortable. Oh that is exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah
1: well Adam feels like it's all a charade so he's carefully polite but he's so distant you can't reach him Mm. and Ronan's just not interested yeah I I love the shame that Gansey is feeling realizing that giving Monmouth to headmaster child probably not the right idea I love that he's like aware of all of it but he still couldn't sleep until he had actually done it
0: yeah I love that connection between like there's a a strong connection between Gansey and time in this section I thought like the sense Mm -hmm. that he's running out of it right and Like that whole blackmail thing and realizing that he's finally realizing, realizing as you did last Mm -hmm. week, that Ronan doesn't need this. It's not about dragging him, kicking and screaming along. He just genuinely doesn't need it. And he says on page 305, he had been wrong about a lot of things and it was too late now. Time was running out to fix them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He can't waste time on like relitigating these decisions he's made. He just needs to he needs to forge on. He needs to k- crack on and keep going forward.
1: But I'm so proud of him for being like, okay, this sucks, and I'm really glad that someone knows. Like he's so glad that Helen has called him out on it because he was very. It says he was lonesome
0: in the secret. In, in the yeah. secret, yeah. I love the connection between Helen and Gansey. Like she knows something yeah. is wrong. Like she gives him that hug even though they're not huggers.
1: Yeah, and he's like, oh I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. I'm- I've definitely been in that position before. Please don't be mm. nice to me. I will evaporate. I will dissolve like Amelie in the movie Amelie.
0: Yeah. And then we have to contrast Gansey's feelings of shame and his family and how interconnected that is with Blue and how she's absolutely not ashamed about her family at all. She's just like happy to talk about them.
1: She's yeah. Blue's amazing, and I love that. Well, I love her approach of that too. Like she doesn't go into the like yes I believe it yes magic is real but she like kind of modifies it for them in a way that's really i don't know like she knows her audience and i think that that's kind of
0: good but i think then later on you know we get a little snippet of how she used to try and force her connection to being psychic like she would try with the cards and all these things and i wonder if there isn't a bit of shame at that like past blue feeling shame for not being psychic and trying Mm. to like make it happen and now, maybe feeling shame for having behaved that way, like having put that much effort into doing something,
1: or maybe just shame that she never was, because she even talks about how when she's trying to get Artemis out of the beech tree that she hadn't had a hope for so long, but she'd let herself believe that, like maybe this time she would get a result. And like, I think there is a bit of shame in, like, oh, of course, oh, you're getting kissy
0: little kitten kisses. Comes storming in here because they they've got outside access now, so they run out. And they spend time and then they just come running in every now and then to check I'm, I'm still here.
1: Aww.
0: Yeah. Anyway. That's alright. It's good to be loved. This one's very needy, aren't you? Yeah. Apologies okay. for all the jingling on the <laughs> recording.
1: I get it. I thought it was cute. I left a bit in.
0: Um, I think Adam is curiously without shame in yeah. this section. I
1: actually Even have a question s- for you about this, so yeah, but go yeah. on.
0: Because I think there's so much of his held beliefs that are thrown out here. Like, he misses class. He mm. calls in out of work. He calls in and says he's not coming in. These are things he would never have done previously. Yeah. And then he has that whole thing about leaving the state. He's like, yeah, I'm leaving the state. And he's like, but he's no longer thinking about never coming back. Yeah. I love and that. And how, like, that is linked to the peace he finds at the barns and with Ronan. in the same way that Gansey spoke about how he felt when he was with Blue. Like, I can sleep when I'm when I've spoken to her.
1: I agree. But I also want to know, do you think that this stillness is because Caveswater is blinking out and he doesn't have Cabe's water in his head in the back of his awareness all the time? Because he wakes up and he thinks like, oh, Cabe's water's just come back, which meant it was gone. And then he goes out to like find Ronan and everything is still and quiet. And it's just him and his thoughts. And I was like, oh, this is so peaceful. And then I'm like, wait, but is it? Is it peaceful or is it actually like a big red flag that something is very wrong?
0: I don't read it like that because I yeah. think he's so attuned to Caveswater's presence that if it felt at all that it was because of Caveswater's distress that he wouldn't have that calmness. It would be mm. a bit more sinister. I think this is just genuine, him allowing himself to disconnect oh, I hope so. in a way that he's never allowed himself to disconnect before. In like a peaceful way. Like he's never allowed yeah. to just rest or be at peace because he's always been hypervigilant, right? It doesn't matter where he is.
1: I love the scene. I'm just going to read this bit. It's tangential, but I'm just going to read it Mm. Uh, on page 296. This was where Adam found Ronan, a black smudge in a fog-washed field. He had been watching something else, but Chainsaw had alerted him, and so now he turned, hands in the pockets of his dark
0: jacket, and watched Adam approach.
1: I don't know why, but that just got me this time. I could just see it.
0: And I love how he just sits there, he just tips his head back and he just like allows himself to be in the moment. And then, you know, Ronan's watching him and he's watching Ronan and he says he couldn't tell if he was letting himself idolize this place or Ronan and he wasn't sure there was a difference. And I just really love that. I love those moments of stillness. And there are some places that make you feel like that, where you can actually breathe, like, you know, where you feel like you can actually just exist and no one is expecting anything of you. And I'm just so happy for him that he's found this.
1: Yes, and I love that he's already letting go of not coming back. Like He'd been so hellbent on leaving Virginia, but now he's like, but it doesn't mean I don't have to stay away. I mm. love that so much. I love that he's finally getting the glimmers. And I, I mean, when, if we ever get to the Dreamer trilogy, we'll definitely talk about that more in depth because it's a huge part of it is Adam like being Godzilla talent away from his Ivy League dreams um, mm. and what that means for him and like he has to make that meaning for himself and he's not quite there yet but I think we're getting we're getting the roadmap that it will be possible
0: I totally agree with you I think there is a big part of Adam he, he's always so he makes a plan and he just clings to the plan and he doesn't mm-hmm. allow himself to really deviate from that and I think What's so telling in this section is also just the connection he has to Ronan. He feels so protective and he's so pained about what Ronan is going through, yeah. the horrors they're both going through. He allows Blue to comfort him in a way that I don't think he necessarily normally would.
1: Yeah, but also just no, the way he's true. just
0: he's just there for Ronan. Like Ronan won't get it out of the car.
1: So Adam gets and in with them. Adam
0: just gets in and he's like wake me up if you need to. He's just going to be there and like I cannot undersell how important the just being there for someone and that moments like that is. Like just mm-hmm. being present. Honestly. Yeah, it's just a lot. And it just makes my heart hurt a lot.
1: Mine too. I had many feelings about that. I think Ronan kind of losing it a bit and not being able to get out of the car is like the hardest and worst part of the section. And there's a lot of loss in this section and a lot of, like, shame that people are feeling in different ways.
0: Yeah. And I think the connection between Gansey and Ronan as well in that sense, because this is kind of Gansey's worst fear. He doesn't want Ronan. He never wanted to see Ronan like this again, like, yeah. having gone through something like this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then Blue describes it as being, it was terrible to see him without any fire or acid in his eyes. And it, there's that beautiful line, I think, from Adam where he says, this wasn't grief, it was something safer beyond it. mm yeah it's just it's just a lot for poor Ronan
1: it is a lot and knowing that there's no way to undo what has happened like mm. Gansey says that he's like I can't undo it and Ronan is like beyond that point. Like he doesn't need it to be undone. He just needs it to be finished if that makes sense, which is why he's like, "Okay, we have to find Glendower. Like you know how to do this. You will do this."
0: And he's already jumped ahead as well. He's made the connection that everything that's dreamt is being unmade. So that means Matthew is at risk and he's yep. like, "I he's already jumped to that conclusion being like, I'm not I'm not losing my brother, right?"
1: Yeah. Oh, it's hard.
0: Hmm. The other connection I loved was just like we finally have Blue's connection to the tree explained, the yes. beech tree connection. And oh. how she has that she has that in common with Gwen Clean, right? Like this is what makes them mirrors, the fact that they're part tree.
1: Half tree, half human. I also really love the way that it's explained and I won't talk about it in my in depth, but like I love that in this long explanation that that Artemis goes in. He talks about how like when you're a tree, you're just reaching up for the stars. You're always, like, you're just full of potential. You're limitless. You want to keep going. You want to keep moving. You need to, like, keep growing and doing. And this is just, like, Blue going, oh, it's me. Like, GPOY. But then, when she's having that dream later, when she sort of sinks into her tree self in her subconscious, and she's, like, holding Gansey and, like, enveloping him and loving him and keeping him safe. And they're talking, but they're not talking. And, and she's like She's not really a tree. She's not really human either. She's half in and she'll never be fully either, which is really poignant. That really got me. Like, I think there might be a lot of shame in like not being able to fully be one thing or another.
0: Yeah, and fully Ron- fit in. Yeah, yeah, maybe
1: Ronan's felt that too. I mean, definitely he's felt that worry about like, what am I? Yeah. But yeah, I think there's a lot of that. Um, just like, I'm never going to be fully on one side or the other you'll always have a foot in both camps and you'll never be able to be either or which is rough
0: it is rough
1: we know this because we are uh, immigrants basically
0: yeah you're never fully from one place you never feel like you belong and you can never go back either this is the thing yeah. you can never go back
1: you just have you to only start keep again. going forward yeah, yeah. There is no going back. There's only starting over in the place that you came from if you go back, you know, mm-hmm. like it's possible, but it's not. You don't get to go back into it. Ugh, everything's hard. I think we're real Debbie Downers at the moment. Um, yeah. See if I've got something a little more cheerful. Uh, I would like to uh, comment that I love Artemis complaining. I love his yelling. I love everything he says. Because it's a real
0: mood. Uh, like, I'm too old. I, I move too slowly for this. Yes. i not and dealing like, with it.
1: Too much this decade. Please come back. Cannot do the shock. I'm like, yeah, same. I get it. And
0: it has been a lot. Yeah. This it's, decade.
1: It's been a long decade. Like, what a year. Lemon, it's February. Yes, it's only 2023, but it has already been a long decade. We're ready for a break. Mm. A good kind of break. Um... And I actually really love Gwenclean's scathing estimation of Artemis. I love that she just is so angry with him. Like, he had been an advisor to kings. And I also love that she kind of gives a a bit of a compliment to Blue by saying, here was Artemis's little daughter. He did not deserve her in any way. I was like, yeah, because Blue is amazing. And, like, whatever yeah. Artemis is, I love that Gwenclean is aware that Blue is amazing. Mm. So that was a bit nice. I'm like, "Oh." She likes her. You would never know, but she does like her. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I also like that Adam is, we talked about this a bit, but I like that he's kind of interrogating his own experiences and he's looking for something to be ashamed about and he can't find it. Like, that is such a nice and new feeling for him. Like, he's like, I have to be careful with Ronan. He's not to be played with. And he's like, but I don't think I'm playing. <laughs> like, He's trying to find the thing that's wrong and he can't because it's actually right and good. And And I he has that. spent
0: so much of his life being ashamed and yeah. for him to not have that weight is just beautiful.
1: I think this is a big core of why I am both so hard on Adam and so sympathetic toward him is because I feel a lot of the same. Like, I echo a lot of that. Yeah. Like that wanting to be enough. Wanting to be seen as enough. Wanting to be seen effortlessly is more than I am. More than I feel I am. Hmm. That's okay.
0: I think that's all I had for shame and connection. How about you?
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Any tangential?
1: Um just a bit about Adam finding Ronan in the fog-washed field. I love that. Um, I love that Blue as a tree is like giddy and joyful and happy. And I then love that she offers we could just stay here. And Gansy says, I love you, Blue, but I know what I have to do. I don't want to, but I know what I have to do. It's like, oh, he said it. And also like, oh, I can't deal with it. Um, and yeah, when the Grey Man chooses to be a king, I think it's a really great parallel because he talks about, um, like you know Gansey just says that thing I don't want to but I know what I have to do and then the gray man does the same thing like he wanted mm. to stay so badly in this place where he'd begun to put violence down in this place where he'd learned how to feel again in this place that he loved only a second had passed more aside the gray man shot Lemonnier he was a king like yeah he is but like that sucks so just a lot of like feelings this time around
0: yeah
1: uh, how about you did you have any tangential
0: I've mentioned a lot of mine, but I love that Helen tells Gansey to kiss Blue and then he says, do you like her? And she says, she's weird, you're weird. I love that. It just reminds (laughs) me of this thing, this tweet I saw where the guy was like, I've got nothing but excellent weirdos in my circle now that I'm in my 30s. And I'm like, yeah, fill your life with weirdos. It's great. This is
1: absolutely it. Like, I did meet a normal person a few years ago and they were fine, but I could not find any, like, there was no traction to the friendship Mm. because I'm like, what? What do I hook on to, to get to know you better? I felt like I was trying to scale one of those like really smooth water features. Like, I couldn't get up the side of it because it's like a giant ball that's covered in water. I was like, I cannot get up it.
0: It's too slippery. Yeah, There's nothing to yeah, hook on yeah. to. There's nothing weird going on. <laughs>
1: yeah. I want to know about people's weird stuff because I love that people are interesting. Don't be normal.
0: I love the line on page 309 where it said, there was no difference between dreams and reality when they stood here in Cape's Water together. Because again, I think this is a very important theme in the Dreamer trilogy later, this mm-hmm. barrier between what is real and what is dream. And then the grey man thinking about his life, this parallel because he said, it was hard to discern what was true recollection and what was merely a dream. So I love that. Um, and I also just love everything about Adam. That Adam chapter is so beautiful. It's when like he says, you know, incredible. page 298, on an essential level he was fine with the silence this quiet, this absolute quiet nothing but low grey sky in Adam's thoughts he was so still inside, it's just so lovely so yeah
1: that I can imagine being somewhere where you can't hear the birds, but that could just be Australia has ruined me like, like the birds here are so loud, not even a weather event can stop them
0: It was so quiet when I was on safari and so dark. Like, I kind of forgot that you can have absolute darkness like that. Because you're just Mm. in the middle of nowhere. You're in the bush. So, you know, we go on this night ride. And when they switch all the lights off, you just sit there under the stars for a bit. And it's deathly silent. So, you could see the stars. But, I mean, and then, yeah, you just hear, like, an elephant in the distance. Or, like, a lion roaring in the distance. And it's just, like, so quiet and beautiful and amazing.
1: I love that. I would go crazy. My tinnitus would just be like,
0: (laughs) here I come. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have that as well. So it's just a constant low level humming in my ears, but I'm used to it now. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, that's just life. Yeah, yeah. I, my husband has been dealing with some sensory issues. So we've been trying different like ear, ear earplugs for him. And the like really good ones were worse because they let in no noise. So the tinnitus was just like, Hey, I'm here. It's my time to shine. And I was like, okay, we'll get you the slightly less obstructing ones.
0: I got some ones for, called Flare. That's the brand, and I got the night ones, and mm. they just so they're really good for sleeping. Like they're not made for tinnitus, but they just like are really good at just dulling the noise a little bit. So I found oh, nice. them really useful for nighttime.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. We should put a link. I'm just using Loop because I like that they have lots of colors, and I I have like six pairs now I just buy like they have a special edition once I get a couple um and I've just got them in every handbag I've got some in the car I've got them anywhere we might be where somebody needs headphones I've got some earphones <laughs> I mean yeah earplugs but yeah it's good to not have to listen to the noise when the noise is too much yeah um I think that was all I had for tangential um did you have an in
0: Yeah, so my in-depth is actually related to one I just mentioned. So it's when the grey man is thinking about his past and thinking Mm. about how he sort of just fell into being a hitman and he couldn't really remember how it happened. Like he couldn't remember that memory. He could remember his life as like a lecturer and then he can remember the green mantles, but there was no sort of in-between. So on page 313 it says, It was hard to discern what was true recollection and it was merely a dream. Back then he'd strung one grey day into another and it seemed likely that he had lost weeks or months or years to this foggy dissociation. So I think it it links to our themes because it's this connection, like the struggle to make connection to the disparate parts of your life. Like you don't know how one thing led to another. You don't know how you became the person that you are and you've struggled to make that connection in the way that he can't connect these things. And also shame because I think there is a level of like shame and not knowing and not being able to piece that together and not being able to, especially someone as competent as the gray man. Mm-hmm. I think there would be a level of shame in not being sure how you ended up on the path that you ended up on because you want to be, I guess, more wholly, fully yourself in a yeah. way. Um, weirdly, what it reminds me of is the second Twilight book. So oh. New Moon. One of the reasons I really connected with Twilight as a series, and particularly really loved New Moon, was because you have that section after Edward leaves where it's literally just da- like it's just month names on empty pages. Yeah. So I think it's like March, April, February, whatever. It just goes yeah. through the months, and it's like pages of months and nothing in them. And I know a lot of people are really scathing of that because they think it's very dramatic that she goes into this spiral because a boy leaves. But that is besides the point, because to me it was the most accurate representation of what depression feels like that I had ever seen in my life. Yep. And at yep. that point I was a 19 year old kid. I think when I was reading it, I had just experienced this myself. So when i I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, when my family moved from South Africa to Australia, I really struggled. So I was 14. Mm. I have no recollection of that year. So it would have been year nine of my high school career I don't know anything. I've got friends from that time. I've got photos from that time. But if you asked me what happened in that year, I could not tell you. Yeah. I completely dissociated. I lost complete months of my life. I don't know, I don't know. And that's what I had to do to cope because I was so depressed and I didn't want to get out of bed and I was really struggling and I was just going through the motions. And so there is nothing there. It's like your mind tries to protect you, I think in a way that it's just like, that's not important. We just won't bother forming memories right now. We just have to keep you alive. Yeah, survival mode. That takes priority. Yeah. And so I think it, seeing those chapters in New Moon felt really powerful to me in a way that it never had before. Like, I didn't know that there was another way, like that other people had felt this thing, that there was a a, a commonality there. And there's the same with Desk when he says, you know, He felt like he had lost weeks, months and years to this foggy dissociation because that is what happens. You just have no memory of these horrible things that happened to you and you can't piece it together. Yeah. And I think going forward, I just want to remember that it's important to be kind to yourself. Like it's easy to fall into the shame trap to feel like you should be something or should be doing more or should be pushing yourself and, Take even like feel guilty about not doing enough self care, like drink more water, go for more walks, do all these things. But it is hard work being alive. Yeah. And if you can just get out of bed and go through the motions, you know, you're winning. Like, good job. Good job being alive is basically what I just want to remember. Like, every day you're alive is enough. And we should just be grateful for that, I think, and crack on. Like, don't fill your life up with. Unreasonable demands.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just existing is
0: worthy. Yeah, it's enough. It's enough just to be alive. What
1: do you have to prove? What does anybody have to prove? Just be there. Just be who you are. And, like, I don't know. We have house rules and I talk about them all the time because they're really brilliant. But be kind, be safe, be your best. That is, like, it. That's the whole point. That's just, that's the whole thing. And sometimes your best is like, I got up, I brushed my teeth, I went back to bed. Hey, you did a thing. I'm so proud of you. If that's all you could do, that was your best. Yeah. And like I said it. before,
0: like we had a coach come in when I still worked at Uh, for a rugby team we had a coach come in and he talked about how he says to the players you just have to give 100% and 100% is every day is not the same maybe you only have 10% to give so just give 100% Mm -hmm. of that 10% and that's still enough and I'm like this is amazing and I dined out on that advice for a very long time (laughs) afterwards let me tell you I love that but I think it's good I think it's good advice to be like I can only do 40% today and that is enough
1: yeah yeah I mean we our only metric for success is ourselves right so we are really just working off of what we expect of ourselves Well, what was your in-depth, Marginalia? Uh, So mine is when Blue is talking to her dad, Artemis. Uh, She's just gotten the idea to use the puzzle box to communicate with them. And she tried several things and then he didn't come out of the tree. And then she said, well, anyway, I've loved this tree for longer than you. And I have have more claim on it. And that's when he decides to come out and start talking Mm. to her. And he's explained to her at this point, like, he starts at the very beginning, like, of time. <laughs> and he's explained to her about, um, like, whales and what it was like and how there were trees that could be tree skins, as he puts it. Um, but then there was fire and the the farms and, and there just weren't as many trees. But um, at one point he explains that he can become a tree. And she says, I don't understand. And on page 326 blue was not uncomfortable because of the truth of him she was uncomfortable because the truth of him suggested a truth in her mm. and i really picked up on this this time i think because it it gives blue this sort of explanation like this oh that's why a moment so she's always felt vaguely ashamed of not being able to fit in right like she's struggled with her peers at at the high school that she attends and like she feels this great regret that she didn't get to know henry in the beginning of her high school years because it would have changed everything and like Mm. you know she's never fit in at school she's the only non-psychic in a family of psychics and we've just earlier in that section heard how she like tried really hard to make it happen for herself um and she's always felt like there's this life that she wants to have or participate in and she's always going to be outside of it and she also feels a lot of shame i think about wanting to leave her family like she's afraid that wanting to leave her family says something about them but it it doesn't Mm. but she like feels bad about the fact that she does want to leave so here she gets this person who tells her like no this is what it's like to be A tree light, like you are full of potential. You are always reaching for the stars. You you love the world. You love what's in it. Like this is just a normal way to be. So she's been given this this connection, and it can maybe alleviate some of that shame that she's been feeling, and it can like release her from of it, from some of it. And I I really love it because the latter half of the quote is something I think about a lot, especially as we were talking about the political situation in the Middle East at the moment. The truth of him suggested a truth in her. I feel like this is really good to remember because of all the bad things that are happening in the world, we are all still people and we are both affected by and also capable of monstrous things. And like the people who are doing bad things are still people and the people who bad things are happening to they're people, like we're all people. And that's where I want, like, that's how I feel first is like all of these awful things are happening to people. Um... And so, like, I just, we can't demonize or other people for doing things that are monstrous because we're all capable of awful things. We just have to keep, like, moving forward. Remember that there's still people and know that we all have unseen depths and infinite potential. But also be cognizant of the fact that, like, we're all capable of that. So, like, be careful because when you make things so... I don't know when you make things so difficult when you make things so black and white so dichotomous you can fall into this trap of like
0: hmm. believing
1: things to be true where there's more nuance so I don't know just a little bit of a we're all it reminds of me, those
0: things it reminds me of the Terry Pratchett thing where he talks about what, it's easier to blame them capital T than us because you yes. don't want to believe that they're one of us mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. he's like uh, what is the quote it says I've certainly never thought of them I've never certainly never thought of myself as one of them. None of no one ever thinks of themselves as one of them. We're always one of us. It's them that do the bad things. Because you don't want to believe that you're capable of it. If you extend that kind of I guess, empathy or like just consideration to the capital T them. Yeah. Then, then you have to acknowledge the fact that you are capable of monstrous things and no one wants to do that. You always want to believe that yeah. you would never, but you don't know what you'll do when you put in that situation. Like I have no doubt that I am capable of horrible things
1: I think everybody is yeah for sure yeah like the part of us that keeps us in a society is that we check that and we try to be better that we try to be good and kind and, and do what's right but like if my back's to the wall I think everybody I think I could be capable of horrible things I think everybody could
0: Yeah. there's yeah. not much yep. that yep. an
1: animal wouldn't do to survive but also sometimes <laughs> it's just p- awful
0: great because i've just rewatched all the hunger games films and i feel like this is very pertinent to that and yes. the kind of whole tenor of those of that story as well
1: I, I listened to the series earlier this year got me i was just like oh i should i should hear it and i think i listened to it because Tatiana Mazlani did the audiobook and it was she was really good um yeah highly recommend that too it's very very good timing for that
0: so did you have a character you'd like to spotlight Yeah, I really want to
1: spotlight Blue this time around. I think Mm. it's hard to not be able to fit in. It's hard to feel like you have an answer, but it doesn't actually change anything. It's hard to have to go to lunch with your boyfriend's posh parents. (laughs) Like, all of this stuff is hard. And then, you know, your dad turns into a tree like he does. That's fine. It's just really hard. And I just want to give Blue like a really big hug because... Yeah, she needs a hug. <laughs> mm. How about you? Who do you want to spotlight this time?
0: I'm a broken record, but I'm spotlighting my boy. I'm spotlighting Ronan because yet again finding a gruesomely murdered parent it's I just, just can't I can't deal with it. I just can't deal with it. And then him waking up just covered in blood and gore and just yeah. this horrible thing that he had to witness after he'd already witnessed his dad similarly horribly beaten to death I just I can't I can't handle
1: it it's a break (sighs)
0: Um, Yeah.
1: and on the back of that can I just say I love that the first thing he did when he saw orphan girl was to pick her up and tell her you did so good you're gonna be okay it's okay it's fine like he hadn't even seen why she was bloody and he was like comforting her I'm like this is peak dad energy
0: I know and then Adam was like he felt pained watching him hug her and I'm like you guys kind of wait till you've got your little farm going
1: (laughs) Figure it out. We love it. Yeah. um, Do you have any homework for our listeners?
0: Yeah, so uh, I went to see Frank Turner in concert last night. So if you're not familiar with Frank Turner, he does like punk folk sort of songs. They're great. They're great for the current climate. Um, I highly recommend giving him a listen. Uh, I just started watching the second season of Welcome to Wrexham today, Mm. uh, which is delightful. It's like a real-life Ted Lasso. So if you haven't watched that, watch that. I watched so many films on the plane, so Yay. many, including 2.5, 2.5 Hunger Games, and then I finished them when I got home. Um, but particularly I want to recommend Polite Society, which is a English film starring that beautiful woman from um, that punk show. What is it called? Oh, no, I've forgotten. It's okay, look no, it up. We are Lady Parts. We are Lady Parts yeah she's the angry the angry lead singer from we are lady Puck. she is one of the leads in polite society it's delightful so it's like pakistani i think pakistani family based in, and set based in london and it's really interesting very like magic well not magic realism but like kind of kung fu and weird but great really enjoy that and yeah also watched renfield which has got nicholas holt in it playing renfield like that Dracula's looked like Familiar. a romp. was it fun it was, yeah, it was unhinged and therefore fun because Nicolas Cage was just like eating up the scenery and <laughs> Nicolas Holt, I just I don't understand what Nicolas Holt's career is, but you know, I'm into it. I am into Pexton his gave him enough money
1: that he could just say yes to whatever he wanted and so he has been. And like, honestly, I think that that's the way to go.
0: Yeah, unhinged film. I, Dan I really Rad did the it. same
1: thing. Dan Rad yeah. did the same thing. He just says yes to whatever looks interesting, right? Whatever weird
0: little thing they want to do.
1: Also I'm um, with a man who can chew up the scenery. So mm. I'll have to
0: And then because on. I had time just before we landed I watched two episodes of Star Trek Strange New Worlds which is surprisingly delightful. So Yay! yeah.
1: Yay. I'm so glad you're on board. I really love that show and I feel like a little bit crazy about it. So I'm glad you watched some of it. It's so good. It's just I really random miss episodic TV.
0: Yeah, I just watched random episodes in season 2 because that's what they had on the plane. So mm. I had no context, but you really don't need it. You don't need context. You can just watch it. So it was great. Yeah. There
1: is one that's uh, Lower Decks Crossover, which is quite funny. (laughs) So I would highly recommend watching that episode if you get a chance. So good.
0: Did you Um, have homework?
1: I do. So I read a lot while you were away. Because It was very sad that you were gone. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I read the newest Murderbot.
0: Oh, your fave.
1: I love Murderbot. And like, as I was reading it, I was just both like simultaneously like I wish I could give Murderbot a hug and also Murderbot would hate a hug. But like but I love Murderbot so much and I can understand why Murderbot's humans love Murderbot because Murderbot is always trying to do the right thing and it's really hard and oh I don't know. I just have a lot of feelings. So good, go read it. Murderbot by Martha Wells. Great. Made my life. <laughs> I might just sit down and reread the whole series if I get a chance this week.
0: <laughs> Amazing so
1: good. Well, next week we're going to be reading chapters 48 through 54 through the theme of chaos, which I can certainly feel the chaos descending.
0: Yeah, it certainly feels that way. Yeah,
1: not my favorite, but we'll get through it. <sighs> All right. Well, I'll see you then.
0: All right. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginali pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com. Check out our Instagram or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you.